Welcome to the Pop Cult Podcast. Here are your hosts Ariana and Seth. This is the Pop Cult Podcast. I'm Seth. I'm Ariana. And today we'll be looking at two new releases. Later we'll be taking a look at Nicole Hofsenner's You Hurt My Feelings with Julia Louis-Dreyfus. But first up, we're going to be looking at a British film, Blue Jean. Uh, In 1988, a new law stigmatizing gays and lesbians forces Jean, a closeted gym teacher, to live a double life. As pressure mounts from all sides, the arrival of a new student catalyzes a crisis that will push Jean to the edge. Uh, So this was a a period piece, of course, set in the 1980s. Uh, Ariana, what did you think of Blue Jean? I thought it was a well-crafted film Mm -hmm. that will linger with you the more you think about it. Um, I really did love the way that the characters were portrayed, the acting. It, you could say like it's a quiet film that almost seems like slice of life. Um, so the main character is not coming out as like this huge activist. In fact, she, her girlfriend is more of the activist than she is. Well, she separates her work life and her private life. Yes. And... There's something about like Jean that just feels very cool and very effortless about her up until like the conflict starts going well, in. Those two parts of her life collide. Yes. And then she loses that control that mm-hmm. it appeared that she had. Uh, yeah, I would say it's it's very much in the tradition of the English uh, social realist films, of, which kind of started post-World War II and were films about like working class people and just kind of the everyday struggles of life. And that's been a continuing theme in a lot of English filmmaking. I mean, you can even see it in more stylized films like um, Billy Elliot, where we add a stylish element, but it's still ultimately a social realist film about yes. like people and just struggling against uh, essentially uh, suppression by the system. Mm-hmm. And this is a film that there's a constant sort of dialogue in the background through television and radio of conservative voices flooding the airwaves to talk about how vile homosexual people are yeah and even though in a sense there's very few times where the dialogue is mingling about what is occurring in the government it's always looming over um gene's mind and it's also the conflict between the two worlds that she lives in her private life and then her work life and how towards the middle of it you do start to feel it creep in you know her students shouting at her like get out of here when she's in the showers trying to tell them to hurry up because they kind of know they kind of know but they also know like this is the type of bullying that they can do towards her um because it's like she is the adult uh but at the end of the day there's also like you can say it is bullying because it's like she can lose her job and it is you feel for her in a way when she's having conflicts for example with vive um viv viv her girlfriend so she's having a night in with her girlfriend very quiet and then door knocks and it turns out to be Jean's sister. Uh, the grandmother from the father's side is in the hospital and is being and she's being asked to take in her nephew. Viv kind of gets annoyed because well, she even, Jean. Well, she, Jean even asked Viv to kind of step to the side out of eyesight of the sister when she opens the door. Yeah, and is like 
she's sort of like annoyed at the fact that now their time together has been cut short but it's also you start to learn through the relationship that Jean has with her nephew is her nephew loves her a lot and it is also the indication that this might be the only child relationship where she this is probably the only child she'll ever have within Mm -hmm. her life because she um is not in a heterosexual relationship and with her work life she just keeps this very cold distance from her students yes and then it's later revealed through conversations that she did go to she was teaching at the school that her nephew was at um which was a catholic which is a catholic school but she said she was uh the excuse was she no longer wanted to be around really little kids but it was probably her understanding that her personal life was going to creep in with her nephew there and she needed to sever it as much as possible. Well, and then also the idea that she, because the movie opens with, she's just dyed her hair blonde, like yeah. bleach blonde. Uh, and so, and it's cut very short and it's sort of, this is how comfortable she is being out, which yes. is a, a short haircut. That's it. A short haircut, not wearing makeup at work, uh, wearing baggy clothes. So it's like... When she gets away with it because her supervisor, who's like the head uh, gym coat teacher, is also kind of a more, you know, athletic, heavy set woman who is straight, but kind of fits that like stereotype people yeah. have. And I did like them showing the contradiction even visually between her... And her girlfriend, her girlfriend has tattoos, is buzz cut. buzz cut. Her friends have like dyed hair. They have piercings. They're very obvious and out into the world. Um, but like when they're in a group setting, they don't question or push her, but they do understand that there is a divide. And so throughout the movie, we learn that um, Jean wasn't this effortless and cool all the time. As we, we learned that Jean her. was married to a man yeah, for several years. Was married to a man, is no longer speaking to her mother, um, is in a cordial relationship with her sister who says she accepts her, but is only willing to go so far, meaning don't bring your girlfriend around my son, even though she said it was just a friend. Well, and then that's where you realize that Jean, even in her personal life, must stay closeted because when she's interacting with her family. So, yeah. like, the only place she is out is by herself or with her other lesbian friends. Yes. And that's it. Uh, and so into this mix, we introduce Lois, who's a transfer student from Scotland, I believe. Yeah. And she, very early on, there's signs that there's something different about Lois. And then eventually Jean runs into this student at the lesbian bar that she frequents Mm -hmm. and tells her she needs to leave because the girl is 15 years old. So it's really not appropriate for her to be in there, especially if other women there don't know her age and assume she must be the age. Yeah. Uh, At the least 16 or 17, her assumption is. And so that's where the real crisis of the movie clicks in because Jean now wonders Lois knows I'm a lesbian. I know she's a lesbian. She will be looking at me every day at school and seeing like how I present myself, especially at the time this is taking place, which is Margaret Thatcher is on the air decrying homosexuality. You have man on the street interviews that are allowing homophobic uh, propaganda to spread. 
And it's this sort of inflection point that we all can feel is coming where Gene is either going to have to come out or, and we kind of know that Lois is targeted and being antagonized by Siobhan, who's a student at the school. Who's like her star athlete. Yeah. It's like a netball team. It's a sport that I wasn't very familiar with. It was like double basketball or something. It was very interesting, but I'm sure it's a very British thing or European thing or something. Uh, and so Siobhan is very calculating and there's hints that, oh, does she like Lois, this other oh, yeah, student? There is like this hint. There's like that Siobhan has a crush on Jean, but never acts upon it. Um, wants her attention. Yeah. She, she likes wants, being the star. Yeah. She wants being validated by her. So there could be an indication that there is like internal homophobia going on and it's... when I, I think she doesn't like lois because she sees lois i think siobhan can look at lois and gene and go oh they're the same and that means i don't get to be the focus of my teacher's attention or my yeah. coach's attention i don't like that because i did like how it was more it was like that lingering hint we don't get like confirmation but it's like Shaban will look over and see that they're talking and you could see like the anger bubbling up in her or she spies on Jean and Lois when uh, Jean takes Lois to the nurse's office in order to bandage up her knee and there she is peeking through the window not being able to hear the conversation but knowing that something is going on and then starting to calculate what her next moves are against Lois who like at the beginning is shown playing like kicking a ball around with the boys, but only then to be like bullied by the boys by then pulling on her hair. And because then, she's very good. That's one thing yeah. like it's Jean and then the boys soccer coach are watching and note that like, oh, this girl's really good. And I love that Jean's like, well, you know, you could recruit her for your team. And, and that, of course, that's out of the and question. Like, yeah. No, there'd be too many complaints. And he's like, and she just like jokes about like she kind of indicates it's like oh you're just scared to for her to beat all the boys yeah um and that's when she asked Lois like to join her team uh I felt one of the things and it's one of those where maybe it isn't because I am a you know straight guy from the United States I'm not a British lesbian <laughs> but to me the characters felt incredibly authentic yes i it felt like you know rosie McEwen, who plays gene like i couldn't see her as anything other than the character she was playing and the same thing with viv and when you look up that actress carrie hayes uh outside of the role of viv looks totally different yeah and it's uh, but they they did such a great job of sinking into those roles and they felt so comfortable with the aesthetic that they were giving it that's why i say like gene comes off so cool like chain smoking and like looking brooding and very like somebody was i saw like on letterbox said finally a lesbian twink (laughs) and it's (laughs) yeah that's so good and she's very she's very like athletic and thin but not weak yes and then like i like the fact that like when with viv i remember thinking god she looks so cool and like so attractive and so comfortable in they were comfortable with each other too in a way that you could tell there must have been a lot of rehearsal and they must have met and talked a lot before filming yes because when they're together it just feels like yeah that's a couple i believe that they're a couple completely like even in the moments where there's like tension and arguments between them 
it felt authentic because even yeah. when like we will be like yeah it's fine but it's like that like it's that it feels it's, that tension because the other person is not happy when i think a lot of the film is tension yeah because there's a lot of the movie where people are not saying what they think which is good because that's the way reality works. Like there's a lot of inner monologue going on, but we very rarely will just, you know, spout exposition. And so in the movie, we have to infer a lot of what's going on, even in Gene's mind yeah, by watching the performance. And that's one of the types of acting that I really, really like is acting through your face uh-huh. and your body language and that you don't rely on the dialogue to say everything for you. Yeah. And the film, like, from beginning to end does a great job of you as an audience member are expected to understand what's going on by paying attention to the movie. Yeah. And it's not so complex that you're going to get lost in it. It's just yeah. how a character is feeling in a situation is never explicitly stated. Yeah. Um, I loved when it came to like Jean and her friends, like the friend group that she's in. Mm-hmm. This is also a, an authentic thing that I've heard from friends of mine that are bisexual or lesbians. That like the group is someone indicates, "Hey, we fucked," and Jean becomes very uncomfortable because it's it's leaned towards Viv, who is her girlfriend, and she's still she hasn't completely broken away from that like conservative. Yeah, that, straight culture that she was yeah, raised in. Yeah, the heterosexual uh, culture that they try to like press upon all like genders and like now that there's gay marriage, all you gays are going to pair off, right? Yeah, that's what gonna, you have to do. You're right? going to be exclusively <laughs> yeah. monogamous and never talk about whoever you had sex with before. And it is this like Jean is uncomfortable with the idea of Viv having been with other people, even though they've had past conversations, like you'll have later conversations with them talking about the experiences that Viv has had. She is still possessive over Viv. So it's like this jealousy that peeps through. Um, Well, then there's an interesting class thing that I wasn't expecting, but I thought was a really fascinating bit was there's a class divide between Jean and Viv where Viv lives in, we're not sure if it's a squat or if it's just, I think it's just a shared living situation. It's a shared living With like half a dozen other lesbian women. Yeah. And we learn near the end of the movie that most of them can't find jobs because they are very visibly out as lesbian yes. women. They're very, uh, what we would label as, I guess, masculine in appearance or not being feminine. They're not following basically yeah. the aesthetics. That gender people, norms. Yeah, the yeah. gender norm aesthetics. And so- because of that, they mentioned people like Jean, meaning the lesbians who are have proper jobs. Yeah, they're they're like walking that tightrope where their coworkers may suspect something, but it's never really confirmed. Yeah. And that they work and one of the things they do is it's almost like church, right? They're paying a tithe to the less fortunate. It's the lesbians who can't. Yeah who can't get work the way they can and it helps keep them afloat and like groceries and things well, like that I think it's also like this beautiful balance of yeah the ones who are more visibly out are probably also the ones that are willing to go protest or willing to you know and they're get arrested state, yeah. and so therefore a person like Jean who doesn't want to risk her job because there is a point in the movie where Viv goes like but you love your job yeah, because um, yeah, Jean gets to the point where she like she wants to quit because she just feels 
it's imminent that she's yeah. going to be and outed. So, um, in return, it's supposed to be that she gives because it's like in the future she might need. Yeah, and... well, it's a, it's that very communist idea of mutual aid, right? Like I have some to spare, so I'll help you out. And the idea is that one day when I don't have when I need, you'll have some to spare and you'll help me out. Yeah, and it's this one of those things that you know for sure that like people wanted to break apart because why would we have people unite? under a cause well i mean think about what happened in atlanta just this year where you had the uh, group of activists who were focusing on raising bail money for the other activists who were protesting the police city that they're trying to build yeah and then these bail uh raising activists were arrested under like terrorism and money laundering charges and so yeah it's any attempt of subcultures or activist movements to create alternative systems to support and defend each other is going to be targeted by the establishment because if those are allowed to be successful, then the power of the establishment wands and wanes. Uh, and, and then it's inevitable that the system will crumble, even though it's already inevitable, it's going to crumble. Yeah. It just speeds the process up. And so I really liked that the movie showed us that and the movie also doesn't really end on a and everything was happy note it's lois does get uh forcibly outed at school and it does have consequences for her and gene does something horrible yeah especially as an adult and a teacher and a role model for her and then goes about attempting to redeem herself and does somewhat but still understands that you know she can't repair all the damage that she did the damage is done yeah and she maintains her job, but she maintains it in a way that she understands going forward, like, what her role in all of this is. Well, I think towards the end it was indicating that, that she like, was going to quit. That Lois was back. Okay. Because something hits her in her car, and it's Lois, like, running okay. with her, like, her but like, jumper on. But what I liked was how subtle that is. Yeah, and I think they did a great job, especially after the conflict that, like, Jean has with Lois, of... So, Lo, uh, like, Jean has a moment that Viv is no longer answering her calls. She's feeling guilt-ridden for everything that's happened. Um, she's already had a conversation with her sister who tells her, I preferred when your hair was long. You used to be, like, you used to look so much happier. Not understanding that, like, Jean is happier as she is now. And then it's as if like her life goes into this blur and she is sort of like slipping out of her own body because there's an image of her having drinks with her coworkers because her coworkers oh, yeah. are constantly like, oh, you yeah. never go out to drink. And it's just zooming out and it's just darkness edged all around. And it's sort of like she's no longer really paying attention. And there's a man besides her who's flirting with her and like cleaning her lip with a napkin. But you can see she's just disassociating. Well, it's a disorientation. And yeah. it's just sort of like she was willing to almost force herself back into the closet until she decides, I need to talk to this girl. I need to explain myself to her. And that scene when like Lois and Jean finally do talk with each other, it is heartbreaking <laughs> because Jean is very honest. She's like, I can't be what you want me to be. And like Lois is like, I'm not asking you to, but I do love that Jean's like, but there's, there's one thing about asking and there's a difference about wanting. Yeah. Like 
all like she knows what this girl wants from her because she's wanted it from other people. Mm-hmm. So there's this indication. She's like, I was a Lois once and there were people I wish that had been. Yeah, She even says like something like, but like people failed. Me. Yes, that's what it was. She's like, people failed me and I don't want to be the one that fails you. Uh, I thought it did a very good job of exploring the tension between activism and survival. Yes. Which kind of goes back to the class thing of the, like, it's one of those where I will be very militant, but I also understand I don't expect every person to, you know, drop everything they have and join a revolution quite yet. But because I know like, well, you have people that rely on you. And so it's that question of when is the moment that you have to give up the safety of the survival or how do we create these networks where some of us can participate in the survival while we allow others to do the things that are necessary to create the better world? Yeah, and that's why like, I found it interesting towards the end when they explain like the funding that they have and how they get it because – there's been plenty of times that we've had these discussions before we like, I feel like we were fully radicalized. And I still have those moments when you're just like saying, I'm not on social media, but when you're like, I'm going to post this and I can feel like that tension bubbling up, even though I'm just like, nobody who works with me is friends with him. Like there's nothing out there that could really like well, associate. But and I'm not like, saying anything that's dangerous. I'm just, just stating things that are like. But it's also like no. This is a truth that nobody says out loud. And I think it's also sort of like this weird thing of like you have said like you have to use like your white cis male privilege. Yeah. But I think it's just sort of like as a woman of color, as a woman, there are part of me that's just like I'm gonna be the one that's being pegged down. I'm gonna be the one that's being told like you need to control blah blah blah. Or it's like, well, it's your fault, blah, blah, blah. But it's sort of like, but what if I have the same thoughts that he does, but I just don't vocalize it because I don't want to get punished? Well, the thing that I've always hated is when I'll find out the sort of image that certain people have of me before they really know my ideas and what I truly think. And so I think that's why I like doing those things is it sort of, yeah, you come to my blog or wherever and you you think, oh, this is a straight white guy who writes about movies. Oh, I know what he's about. No, you don't. You do not. <laughs> like, I think I would like to think that I challenge the stereotypes that people have when they look at me. I don't know anymore. Uh, and I really don't care what people think of me. And well, it's, there's a certain power but it's, but then I have a privilege in that, you know, like we said, I'm a straight cis white male. So yeah, I can not care what people think about me while someone like a gene in a much more vulnerable situation yeah, like can't, you have a has to. Appearance. Like yeah. you don't really wear like loud clothes. Um, I have tattoos. You'd have no tattoos. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a stealth mode commie. Yeah. So what I think of it is you don't see me coming. I'm the one that gets in the system and destroys and it. And it's just, it's also the acknowledgement that like, then if you can't be out, then you give. If you can't do that, then that's fine. Cause it's like that interest. It's an interesting thing that like, um, we do see that Jean like is watching television and her girlfriend is joking on how they shouldn't watch television because it's just like, everything is political and Jean is trying to, not even that it's political. Everything is reinforcing that people like them are evil. Yeah. And like, she's like, everything is political. Like the television programs that you're watching, everything 
and how Jean wants to create that divide in order to keep herself safe, in order to not think about it because it weighs heavy on her on a regular basis. Well, she hasn't admitted that like her existence by default is political. Yeah, and I think that's that's really hard to explain to people because it seems as if like white lesbian gay and bisexual people forget that there was a time that you just couldn't be blasting your sexuality or maybe don't even forget but they just want to live they don't want to think about it in the same way that you'll hear people talk about you know after the spanish flu it just wasn't spoken of and the same thing i worry about covid in a few years no one's going to talk about it because the memories are painful but at the same time it's if you don't preserve the pain of those memories in a way that protects you, right? Because you don't need to live your life being hurt by that trauma over and over. But you do need to preserve it in order to stop that from ever returning. Well, I think it's just like that animal instinct within us is gone. Yeah. It's like it's been like bred out of us to not have a certain like... But we don't develop instinct. ...precaution and instinct about it. And what happens is then, you know, the ones that follow that happen to be black and brown or like people of color who are end up being like on the slaughter or trans or non-binary, um, like queer, like they're just they're up for debate now. They're up for debate. And what's sad is you see a lot of uh, white LGBT or I guess LGB people uh joining in with the reactionaries and the fascists to try to push these groups of other people out of the circle yeah and it's horrible and it's something that like when you watch a movie like blue jean you realize reactionaries don't ever present new ideas they repackage the same broken old ideas in a way that they kind of take the the tone of revolutionary talk, speech and then put that overlay that on things that and all they do they is upheld like the establishment up into a prettier package like now what yeah. we have is just hipster looking matt walsh asking what is a woman well like i was telling you earlier uh it's whenever you hear these sort of trad wife morons say things like no feminism is hurting women from being who they want to be and it's just such an illogical statement and it's all predicated on the idea of the obfuscation of language. If we just don't ever define our terms specifically, then we can kind of say whatever we want and get away with it and preach the most ignorant shit. I think it's just like, it's really fucked up because when we're like relating to this about like traditional wives and feminism, it's like this idea that like within feminism, we think that for some reason loving a person or loving your family needs to come with full devotion and what we need to understand that even though you love someone or you love your family or a group of people like we don't have to uh, like connect family to blood it is it's supposed to come from like this effortless soft side of you and then what there's we no need, work and like we need yeah. to admit that it is work that it is sometimes the work sucks. We had this discussion one time when I was just like, oh, I love you a lot. Sometimes it's work. And you like playfully pouted. And for a second, you're like, is that bad? And I'm like, I'm not saying like, it's not worth it. I'm just saying it's work. 
like some days it's good work. Some days it sucks. And like, I need you to put in another, like a little bit of effort, but that is what it is. It's just fucking work and it sucks. And like, we just, it's supposed to be like, oh, divvy up the chores or talk about what, what needs to get done. And that everybody needs to be able to know what that well, that weight feels well, this like. Is, this is why the people who are the homophobes subscribe to this system of they're very big on the private life, right? And so family is a private institution. And all that means is, oh, well, what happens within the family uh, is none of your business. And what often happens within families in the West is a form of subordination. So it's and that's why something like homosexuality transgender people these clash with that subordination because the subordination is you know father mother children that's yeah. the way it's supposed to be but when you introduce same-sex couples when you introduce uh children who are labeled as boys when they're born but are girls they don't want to be a boy then it starts to break away that system of subordination which if you just see it within the context of the family you're like oh well then what's wrong with changing it up but that system of subordination is created and used as an extension of the sort of capitalist system we live in, where the worker is subordinate to the owner, right? And if we start to break that down inside families, then we're going to break that down in the other private sector, which is your work. Yeah. And they don't want that to happen. So that's why you see now things have improved for gay people since Gene's time slightly, uh, but it's all under the context of folding uh, homosexual people into this sort of neoliberal marketplace will solve everything, continue the course worker and be quiet yeah, sort of I ideology. Yeah, also this idea that it's supposed to be, oh, your child came out as gay, you're just going to accept them and love them as they are instead of, oh, my child came out as gay. Let me find them resources and groups and people that they can reach out to because I am not in the same gay experience or so gay, they can be safe. Gay marriage is legal. So my child will eventually get married to one person and then they will have children and they will just live in a gay fix, facsimile of heterosexual yeah, relationships. Versus what we see in Blue Jean is that she has made a family outside of her actual family. Now, it doesn't remove the pain that she has from being, like, being basically subtracted from her actual bloodline. But it's but more uh, welcoming to her. It's more welcoming. It's more accepting. It's more willing to allow her to come back in, even when she's made mistakes. Which is why she takes Lois there at the end of the movie, yes. because it's to show her you can have a family outside of your family. If your family won't accept you, there are other families that will. Yeah, to ease the uh, the pain of having to come out, to know that eventually, like, if she gets kicked out of her house, she has somewhere to sleep. Well, then when the Lois hears about that whole fund, it's a reassurance to her that you'll, you're still going to eat. Yeah. You're still going to have a bed to sleep in. That's not going to be taken away from you because now you know this place exists. And I think that is the thing that people are really afraid of because they managed to make like gay and lesbian people to some degree follow what the heterosexual family line is supposed to do but when you come into the line of having a trans child that means they have to have doctors they have to have the therapist that you have to make another set of a family another group that they can reach out to and i think they hate that oh, they yeah. hate the idea of not just allyship of someone coming in saying well you know what 
you kicked out your kid, I'll welcome them into my family and I'll make sure that they're fed and they're taken care of and they go to school and they get to learn their history. That terrifies them. So in every way part, well, like you think about like the Black Panthers, the Rainbow Light Brigade that they were trying to do with the Young Lords. It's breaking it down so they're just only participating in a structure that has failed them again and again. Well, because with uh, homosexual people, the concept was that, oh, if you come out, I will shun you, and one of two things will happen. You will go away and you will die because there is no support network for you, or you will repress your homosexuality and you will subordinate yourself to the family hierarchy and remember your place. That's the way it was supposed to work. And the women in this movie are breaking this by creating a third option, which is you never have to speak to those people again. And what that does is it removes the power of the hierarchy. It doesn't matter that your father doesn't accept you. It doesn't matter that your mother doesn't accept you because you now have people that can fill in those roles and actually new roles that don't even exist in a typical yeah. like biological family. Uh, I think the, my one of my things with Blue Jean is sometimes it can feel a little too straightforward. Yeah. There can be moments where there really is no subtext. And that, to me, I was... I always do like a little artistic flourish in there. Yeah. I do think, I wouldn't argue that it's not stylistic. I think it does a really good job of recreating what the eighties actually felt like probably in the UK. And to some extent, I mean, I was a child, so I have a very faint memory, but it's a much more muted. It's not neon. It's not like a stranger things eighties. It feels very muted Northern class. It's Northern England. And from what I have seen from films, Northern England, kind of a dreary overcast rainy kind of place. Uh, and it just, the feel of the place and the time is done so well in the movie, but yeah. Would you recommend blue jean? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a movie that is might be considered artsy. It's probably only going to really play in art house theaters in the States but it's a movie that's incredibly accessible for like everyone. I think anybody can sit down and watch this movie and they're going to come away with something. A novelist's long-standing marriage suddenly turns upside down when she overhears her husband give his honest reaction to her latest book. This is the plot to writer-director Nicole Holofcener. I can never say her name. Holofcener's new comedy, You Hurt My Feelings, starring Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Uh, Ariana, what did you think of You Hurt My Feelings? I thought it was a decent film. It wasn't, like, mind-blowing. And unfortunately, if you ask me about it within six months, I might forget about it. <laughs> it is a very mid movie yeah but not which doesn't mean bad it no. just means it is a movie that is perfectly watchable you will enjoy it while you're watching it and then when it is over you probably aren't really going to think about it that much uh we've seen a f i've seen a few films from uh hall of centers before uh, most recently we watched um it was uh Gandolfini and Dreyfus together it was she wrote and directed that it was enough said where yeah. they played divorcees who meet each other and then there's like complications in the relationship yeah it's very much the type of movies that like you would see more in the early 2000s what I felt like it felt like uh a Woody Allen movie that was kind of like okay yeah 
which I also want to say there's a reason I don't review Woody Allen movies on the blog and you all know what it is. Come on. But I, I, I've watched more films by him than any other director in my life. I think I watched 40 of his movies. I haven't watched any, I think in over a decade. So, yeah, but this has that very Woody Allen feel the like economic class of the characters slice of life. Yeah. It's just kind of the conflict is all just interpersonal between a couple. So the stakes aren't, high in the way we would imagine them for like cinematic movies Mm -hmm. uh it is a very crowded supporting cast in this movie and i think to the film's detriment because while it does clock in at 90 minutes which is where i like them i did feel like we were throwing a lot of characters into the mix to the point that the main couple really doesn't get enough time between them it's not even that they don't have enough time you almost want to know a little bit more about the other characters because they're a little bit more dramatic and in your face that like the main couple becomes a little boring well the main couple is very i would say the whole plot is very meandering yeah where it's just kind of like here's a scene here and here's a scene here and here's a scene here so even though they bill it as you know oh she has a crisis over her husband saying he doesn't like her writing that's really not the like plot of the movie the plot of the movie is all of these things happening like little things happening that connect to one another because like their son who's an adult i think he's like in his early mid-20s elliot 23 and works at a uh pot dispensary and so there's you know two or three scenes that take place there that have a whole arc going on with them it's very this movie is very like upper middle like higher class kind of thing to the point that it can be a little annoying i would say it's a movie that few people will relate to yeah because especially young people are not going to relate in any way to this movie if this is a movie for like 50 something liberal wine moms yeah. they're gonna love this movie they're gonna eat this movie up kind of annoyed me was like so beth played by julia lewis dreyfus and then sarah played by michaela watkins are sisters who uh give their time up to charity like having people pick up a clothing item once per day for free and it's a lot of them complaining about like that is realistic though i feel like there's a lot of lib moms in new york that probably do that but then are also shitty about it (laughs) <laughs> yeah i mean like i it's hard for me because i work with volunteers and most of the time they're just happy to be there but i don't know about like you know upper class white ladies um there's also like this weird thing about so beth and don um are always sharing food they're don very, is her husband don yeah. is her husband are very close and then at some point elliot their son tells them that he always feels like the third wheel with them and i did not understand that whole plot maybe as like an adult where it's like as a kid you're not aware but then as an adult when you're around you're like oh i feel like my parents are wanting to spend time together because they're a very close couple yeah and that as a kid you suddenly now that you're a grown adult who has your own relationships and things you're like oh i could see how me being here is getting in the way because like if i was hanging out with my girlfriend or wife and there was just some other guy there all the time. It would be kind of like, okay. I didn't get it. I thought it was almost a little too precious. It was like indicating like he really loves his parents and he really wants to spend more time with them. Well, I mean, yeah, there's no, their relationship with their son is like too perfect. 
Yeah, because it's supposed to be he's writing something because his mom's a writer and she's so excited to read it. It's going to be great. And then he has this whole fight with her about how she was too encouraging of him and thought too highly of it of him. So it just like it it, just... it's it's not Dreyfus playing the kind of character she does best at, which is a Selena Meyer, a bad mom. Like no. she does bad mom excellent. Good mom, she's fine. Well, I think it's like and with enough said, there was in that film at the least the drama was the best friend is spending too much time over at the house. So the uh, so the daughter feels like she's being like replaced. Mm-hmm. I just feel like the conflict that they're having with their son is just a little too precious. Why well, wouldn't we say there's a conflict? Like the conflict comes like his girlfriend breaks up with him off screen at some point. And that's kind of an emotional I, crisis for him. It's and that's like a weird thing that they bring it up in order to be like for the husband to be like, you see, I was being too encouraging towards you while they're having their fight. It's very <laughs> neurotypical. Yeah, every people. yeah, the the conflicts don't feel like conflicts. No. Well, because then you have uh and there's a lot of subplots. So like Mark, played by uh, Ariane Moyed who, if people watch Succession, he would be Stewie and Sandy and Stewie. Yeah. Uh, is Beth... Cartoon Sandy and Stewie yeah, in the yeah. Succession. I'm yeah. kidding. <laughs> but he is uh, Beth's brother-in-law. So he's married to Michaela Watkins, who plays Sarah. And he's an actor. And there's a whole thing about him, like, struggling to get a part. Yeah, him getting fired from and a job. Then and then he does get a part and, like... He talks about how annoyed he is that everybody who sees him out in the street only remembers him from this one movie. But then at the end of the movie, he's kind of like fine with it. Yeah. He, and then the movie, he's finally in, the, in a play with Josh, Josh Pice. And like everyone's asking for photos from like Mark instead of John Pice. Josh Pice. Josh Pice. Pace. Pace. I know. It's a weird name. <laughs> uh, and then that you have Don, uh, Beth's husband, who is a psychiatrist or therapist and so we like meet a few of his clients there is a couple played by real life couple amber tamblin and david cross who are very entertaining they are so funny in and this one. the opening scene is him in a session with them and so it's a little deceitful because it sets a certain tone that the rest of the movie does not live up to where you're like oh this is interesting this conflict between these people and then you're like, oh, it'll be interesting to see, like, the conflict Don has with his wife and maybe how does that connect back to this? No, not really. No, and I think it's also a little deceiving. I think it's – he is not a couple's therapist, so the rest of the time he has solo sessions with other people. And it just, like, it's him dawning at the fact that maybe he's not a great therapist at the moment or he hasn't been openly honest with his, like – with his patients as to what their next steps should be that it becomes kind of like you're confused and like we don't really I think what's kind of what was just kind of like all over the place compared to enough said is that with enough said like the conflict happens her character decides she's gonna work on herself we really don't see them work on themselves no, it's we just, just see it's like, like a year later it's almost like little vignettes yeah. And then because like there, Zach Cherry shows up as one of Don's clients and there's like what feels like a subplot with him that doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah, I I, I only thought it was kind of funny because it's like he his character is terrible, which was great. Oh, yeah. Like he's great. <laughs> like once again, it's the guys that are the, the clients that Don is working with. 
I wanted movies about those characters. Yeah, at the least, like, a rotation of him going through that. Maybe, like, some of the stuff that they're saying is reflecting back on his life unintentionally. But, like, uh, Jim, played by Zach Cherry, uh, in the first two sessions, it's like, well, my parents are dealing with my dad. And I, like, no, my, my brother and sister are taking care of my dad. I don't want to take care of him. They're not talking to me, but I don't feel guilty. I refuse to feel guilty. And he's like, do you want to talk about feeling guilty? I don't feel guilty at all. And at the end of each session, which is like, I think it was two or three in a row Mm -hmm. where he mutters like insults towards his therapist that he can hear. Like the Zoom calls ending, he can hear him like- This guy's like an idiot. This guy's an idiot. And then when he, I think the funny part is when he does call him out on it. And he denies (laughs) that he said it. The stiffness. It's it's a denial that's also an admission through his body language. Yes, because he's like he's side glancing him, like waiting for the conflict. And I think I was a little disappointed at the fact that he doesn't like confront him a little bit more because as a person who's gone to therapy, even if I've said said a firm no, at the least my therapist would be like, "Huh, interesting," to make me feel like. So it's a film that wants itself to be about this idea of is it better to lie to someone to soften the blow and protect their feelings or be honest with them even if it hurts right but the film literally never goes deeper than the surface level of that right there is really nothing profound that the movie ever says about it there's never a character that feels like they come to a realization about anything. No. Like even when she gets upset with Don, it just feels like a minor, like at the beginning, she's like really freaked out about it. But a few scenes later, you can tell she's cooled down and it's more, she's just annoyed with him. And then like, you can, they end up like, there's never a moment where they really have a heart to heart. It's just kind of like, Oh, that hurt my feelings. And he's like, Oh, but you know, I, if I told you the truth, it hurt your feelings. And it's just the dramatic stakes. And I know it's a low dramatic stakes movie, but when you compare it to something like Enough Said, that actually had like a central plot. And there was like a, oh, maybe she won't end up with Gandolfini kind of a thing. There's never a, wow, maybe this whole relationship is going to fall apart. Nah, not going to happen. I think I, yeah. And it does, I think it's weird because it's like, we've gotten into like fights, but I don't, I thought it was just weird to, drag it for like days maybe a week or two i mean it is her profession being a writer like that made sense but it's just her anger and her articulation of her anger never really seemed to feel like a real writer where it was you know somebody who really felt like oh my entire life's work has been a fraud she kind of free like i said she freaks out in the moment but then that simmers pretty quickly yeah i think it's also supposed to be like then uh the the like I it's it's like the domino effect of her husband not liking it and then her having to deal with like her students having never read her work an agent who doesn't like an it, agent yeah. who doesn't like it another agent who's kind of like insulting her between yeah them. I'd say and that like it's those scenes where Dreyfus really shines right where she's sitting across from this guy who's in his 30s and he's commenting about her memoir i was like yeah your dad used to call Call you you shithead right yeah and he's like yeah he called you shithead we're really looking forward to publishing your book and it's that thing that dreyfus does so well of that feigned enthusiasm on her face where she's like forcing a smile like "Uh okay like what the hell did that mean kind of a thing uh 
And it's just, I don't feel like it was a movie that played to her strengths. And when you have no, someone like Julia Louis-Dreyfus in your lead role, who is hilarious, why are you not playing into that more yeah, and giving her something? It's not as if she phoned it in. When she no. starts crying about like wanting his like approval like it feels genuine like she is like her like and it's not like she they're trying to make her super pretty while she's crying like her eyes are red she's sniffling like she is making a face where you're like oh damn she's really crying but you compare that to the guy playing her husband like her husband don who just is kind of like meek what's uh, just- tobias menzies who played I forget he was not Robert Baratheon and Game it of Thrones. He was the Game of Thrones that sacrificed yeah. his daughter. Yeah, he was the time. red. He really he had the red priestess, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, he really is a dud in this movie. He does not give a good performance at no, all. No, it's, it's I don't know if they just wanted him to be passive. Well, because it's the therapist that made sense at the beginning, but then once the movie starts going, you see him with his wife. You're like, he's still doing this. Like, yeah, this very like quiet like thing and it's like this thing and for example like they're they're having a talk of like how she thinks he's so great and he's like telling her like oh like you i'm not a good therapist and he doesn't go into it which i thought was such a fucking flaw because it could have been a moment where she would like really start laughing or at the least be like oh my god why didn't you tell me you were going through this like not that he's gonna give names but give details as to what's going on because like you know uh like amber tamblin and david cross come to the point that they are not going to go to therapy and they realize they spent thirty three thousand dollars on him and they want the money back and so they're sending which that's a funny thing like like, maybe make that the plot of the movie like like and like have him like you know coming home like feeling like oh my god my wife doesn't like me and neither do my clients and it's just supposed to be towards the end of the movie he has uh, like cosmetic surgery like it's not as if he quit being a therapist or like was doing part-time we see him like wrap up a session with one older client and that's it like we don't yeah he never really has a realization or a moment it was just more like oh i'm so sorry i hurt your feelings it felt to me like a the pieces that could make a hbo series like an hbo comedy yeah and you would go deeper yes and so you would go deeper where it was like Oh, okay, so you know this episode, we're going to kind of spotlight you know the Amber Tamblyn David Cross couple, Carolyn and Jonathan, and we're that's the only time they're really going to get a focus aside from being background supporting characters in other episodes. Yeah, and then then it would also kind of allow that marriage between Beth and Don to kind of develop and for us to better understand the dynamics there and maybe to have some sort of dramatic scene. But what I came away with was thinking, oh. So Nicole Holofs are as good friends with Julia Louis Dreyfus and Michaela Watkins. Yeah, and I'm sure many other people in this movie. And she was like, "I want to make a movie," and I kind of have this idea about the of a scene where a woman who's an author overhears her husband saying he hates her work, and that was all she got. And she was like, "Let's make that into a movie." And she wrote like I would say it's there's not badly written. It's just badly structured yeah there's like, no structure to the movie it's just this moments is going to be such a big conflict i feel like they should have had an evening where none of them go to bed because they're dissecting their relationship because even though he's trying to convince her it's this one moment she starts asking him well what about the memoirs what about the articles or what about when i did this thing and you 
said oh you did a really good job on that maybe yeah. outside of writing and then they start going into like the gifts because of like they start joking on how like well i say i like certain gifts that you gave me that you know blah 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 and it's that's when they kind of like realize that they both do white lies with each other in order to prevent but there's never like afterwards an agreement of being like hey let's not do that let's not do that it's just sort of like oh okay uh we'll laugh it off and in our next next anniversary which their son is there at the dinner because yeah. he said he felt like a third wheel yeah so let's have him at our anniversary dinner <laughs> like dinner. and no one else just no him. one else just him and then give each other gifts that are inside jokes yeah it's it's a toothless movie and I'm not saying this thing needed to have razor sharp fangs, <laughs> but at least some incisors, please. Like it needed to have some kind of bite to it to make things resonate, I feel like, because it is. It's just a movie that it happens to you. Yeah. And you chuckle at some scenes because they're great actors and the writing's not bad, but you don't walk away feeling anything or going thinking about it in any meaningful way. No, it just it felt it didn't feel like an authentic problem because even if say, like oh the like have the son the the reason that he gets annoyed at his parents is that he's sort of like I can't have a relationship like yours with anyone like after he breaks up with his girlfriend. Yeah, they set an impossible standard for him like, to that would have been a little bit more interesting because during like their the dinner that they have where they re-gift each other like stuff that they've already given each other as a gag and they explain it, he's like, Oh, you guys are so cute. Like just being like, oh my God, my parents love each other so much. Like it would have been like crazy. I said, it's a perfect movie for liberal wine moms because that's the son they want. Oh, he loves being around me and he loves spending time with me. And he forgives and, me because he And he wants to be a writer just like me. And I'm so excited to see his work, but he's so insecure because he's so sensitive. But I know he's a good writer. Because like then there's the great scene where like I mean it's one of the good scenes in the movie where the dispensary gets robbed while she's there and she just literally pushes him to the ground and lays on top of him which is great but it's also like it's kind of annoying because it's like oh no we're proving her that she's always right she's well, right about well, no, her baby but like, i would say like the comedy you could bring out of that is oh there's a story about a mother who will not let her son fail or just or also take like, a risk or like him like afterwards being embarrassed but still understanding he's there with all his co-workers him. and she's yeah. not protecting that <laughs> It's like, yeah, you're laughing, like, because that's a funny scenario. Yeah, like, they're telling him, go get the box with the money in it, and he's trying to grab the and box. she barely will let him up. <laughs> yeah, and she's so tiny compared to him. And so that's like, and I feel like that was a moment where Dreyfus was given something that played to her strengths. Yeah. And it worked with the character. But yeah, overall, you hurt my feelings. I would say very easy to pass. It's not a must-see in uh -huh. any way. If you're curious and it shows up on a streaming service or on cable or something, you happen to be having a yeah. little wine, and you don't have, and you're a, you're a New York '50s wine mom, uh, you're gonna you have it's the movie of your dreams. This is the Fast and Furious for for New York '50 something wine moms. Watch this exactly like watch uh watch what happens now or whatever. What the hell is it? The Sex in the City. That's the problem. What happens thing. next? I yeah, whatever. That's the, uh, yeah. See, this is, see, 
getting it wrong in multiple. I'm so out of my depth now because now I'm in uh, 50-something liberal wine mom territory. <laughs> and that's not who I am. That's not where I roll. That's not what I know. No, no. And so, yeah, all the 50-something liberal wine moms out there, if you want to do a voicemail to correct us, uh, please. Right, yeah, please. I'd love it. Well, that was the Pop Cult Podcast for this week. We hope you enjoyed our episode. Make sure to check the show notes for any links to things we mentioned on the show and to our Patreon as well. You'll also find a link to popcult.blog. That's our website where we post every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and on the weekends. Right now, we're, we just wrapped up a series looking at the Mission Impossible films. And starting on Monday, uh, we're going to be spending the rest of July doing a series I call Angry Cinema, which are movies made by directors who are clearly angry about some sort of social issue and have made a whole movie about it. And so it makes for some very interesting movies that can sometimes get a little incoherent when we let our anger run away with us. Uh, Once we wrap up July, in August, we'll be spending the whole month doing our flashback to 1983, looking at the movies from that year that are turning 40 years old this year. If you like what we do on the podcast and over on popcult.blog, we'd encourage you to think about supporting us on Patreon. Speaking of, I'd like to thank our current patrons, uh, Morphine, who donates at the sneak preview level, and Becca and Matt, who both donate at the writer's room level. If you donate at that level or higher, you get to pick a movie every month for me to watch and review, and if you choose so, you can include your own thoughts in that review. Well, until next time, keep listening.